Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatt rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome back, fight fans, to another episode of the Big Fight, the reaction show to Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. And what a unbelievable fight and what a great night it was for boxing. Back on with me today is Luke Byrne. Luke, you did the Big Fight preview and first and foremost, you got this absolutely on the money. Yeah, it um it went pretty much exactly how uh, how I thought it would go, and it definitely didn't disappoint. It was a great fight, and fantastic to see a few fans back as well in Las Vegas. It was a great night overall. So we're going to do a little bit of a breakdown for the episode about how the fight went down, stage by stage, how, how it all played out, and ultimately the result. Uh, the main thing is that Josh Taylor is now in that elite, uh, select few fighters that are in the modern era that are now four, the four belt champions, the undisputed champions of their weight. And he joins uh, an unbelievable selection of fighters, including Terence Crawford, Alexander Usyk, Bernard Hopkins, Jermaine Taylor. Uh, this is absolutely crazy. Like, you know, nobody was even giving Josh Taylor the the press really in the fight week there was hardly any press for it no uk broadcaster picked the actual fight up it was on the us based fight tv streaming network or espn over in america and i cannot believe that nobody picked this up because this was a historic night especially for boxing on on these shows i mean everybody says today josh taylor he's not just a scottish boxer but he's a british boxer today because he's that become the yeah. become he's become the undisputed champion but no he's he's done he's done and he's emulated what ken buchanan did becoming the undisputed lightweight champion all those years ago and he's done exactly the same thing up in the super lightweight division now and he's he's 
put Scotland even more on the map. But in 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 terms of our our boxing UK as a whole, you know, it, it just continues to show that you know we've got all these great little fighters coming from this this tiny little set of island. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and um, it's it's very funny. All right, if he would have lost last night, he was definitely Scottish, but now he's uh, 100% British. <laughs> now he's after winning. But um, yeah, it, it does. It just goes to show that like consistently, the UK is churning out world class boxers, especially at the lower weight classes. And now you have to put Josh Taylor up there with the best in the world, pound for pound. He's well up there now. So yeah, we'll definitely talk about that because I've got a few thoughts on that. But I want to talk about the fight itself then and just breaking it down, uh, the early stages of the fight, like when I was watching it this morning, because I didn't watch it last night or in the middle of the night, I uh, I cheated, I cheated and I watched it this morning, but I watched it back and I, was, um, I wasn't I was tired, so I was able to really fully focus on the fight and I watched the first few rounds and Jose Ramirez came out, did really, really well. Uh, third round in particular, he had a pretty strong round and... I thought maybe you know maybe he will bully Josh around the ring, and he did at points of that round. He he tracked him on the ropes a couple of times, which was something we mentioned in, in in sort of keys to victory for the for the preview for the fight of what Jose Ramirez needed to do, and he did do that quite well in the third round. But then for me, that was the only round where I felt like really really got the better of Josh. Every other round, right. inc- including obviously the knockdowns, I felt like Josh. Uh, Josh had adapted really well, but just take me through. Just take me through what you felt about the first, say, first four or five rounds of the fight. How you saw it going? Yeah, so uh, it opened up exactly how I anticipated it would, with Josh Taylor taking center of the ring and trying to impose himself on Ramirez and not let Ramirez bully him or push him back. And he did quite well. He boxed well behind his jab as well the first two rounds, and he had distance correct, and his timing was very good in the first couple of rounds as well. Mm. Ramirez was throwing, but he was falling short. When he came inside, um, Taylor was very good at wrapping him up, clinching, not letting him do his own work, and then working in the mid-range, which was fantastic to see. He was being very intelligent with his work and picking his spots and when to throw his big shots. And then round three, like you say, Ramirez really came into the fight. He came out of that corner in the third round like a greyhound out of the blocks and just absolutely took it to Taylor. And I think he hurt him as well with a couple of body shots early on. Yeah. And then Taylor was under retreat then. I think he kind of went into survival mode for about 10 or 15 seconds. And then um, Ramirez was able to tee off on him on the ropes. But then he was able to be a bit tricky and tie Ramirez up again and survive the round. That was fine. He got up then round four. Round four was a close round. It could have went either way. I did give it to Taylor, but I wouldn't argue if someone did give it to Ramirez. It was a close round. Both men had great success, but I think Taylor's body work in round four was really effective. He definitely hurt Ramirez to the body and had him on the back foot himself in the last minute of that round. And then round five, the momentum definitely shifted again towards Taylor, who was able to sit back again, use his jab, pick his shots, get into that mid-range that we spoke about last week and get his hooks going, his uppercuts, and roll out and make Ramirez reset. And he couldn't plant his feet. He wasn't able to throw his combination punches. I thought Josh won the fifth quite comfortably as well. And uh, that was the first five rounds for me. So the sixth and the seventh were the most pivotal rounds of the fight, of course, because there was a knockdown in in either round. Now the first knockdown Mm -hmm. came in round number six, and it was a great, beautiful left-hook counter 
from the back foot from Josh Taylor and something that he'd started to adapt it through throughout the course of the fight. And I think something yeah. you'd mentioned again in the preview, you mentioned about Ramirez coming in and sort of throwing these wider shots, leaving himself open as he came in for the counter. And that's exactly what Josh did. Capitalised on that yeah. first shot. Uh, great, great shot. Knocked him down. He got back up. Uh, the fight continued on. Gets to round seven and he catches him with the uppercut, and you perfectly, perfectly predicted that uppercut. The way that went, the way you threw it across his body, up across his body, exactly as you described it in the preview show, and it absolutely put Ramirez on his backside. And how he survived that round uh, is probably more so down to the allowance of the referee, Kenny Bayliss. But take, go yeah. again, talk, talk me through them two rounds. Like when you were watching them and you were seeing the way he was throwing them counters in, did you think it was, you know, good night Vienna for, for Ramirez at this point? Well, for, for round six, I mean, like, again, Ramirez flew out just as he did in round three against Taylor. But Taylor was clever. He set his feet and he let Ramirez come and lean in on that right hand. And as I say, he throws it wide and Taylor was able to pull back and throw a short counter left. And it caught him flush on the chin. And that was the first punch that landed in that round. And then all of a sudden, Ramirez is on the floor, Taylor celebrating. He gets up. He was a bit wobbly for a few seconds, but he got up. And then um, Taylor dominated that round. But one thing I was very pleased to see from Taylor was his patience and his maturity. He did not try and fly in and finish Ramirez off then and there because he knows better than anyone how dangerous Ramirez was. So he took his time, picked his punches, used his feet, used his head movement and finished out the round, won the round clearly. Uh, Ramirez did come back well in the last 30 seconds of the round, but it just wasn't enough. Uh, Taylor had mostly dominated it. And then round seven came and Taylor started pushing him backwards, putting his putting his strength to use and making sure that Ramirez was on the back foot. Ramirez didn't like it one bit. He was landing sharp left hands. He was getting in the pocket, sitting in, landing those uppercuts. And then, as I said last week, as soon as Ramirez dipped to his left and hesitated before he threw the shot, Taylor caught him clean on the chin with that right uppercut. And I did think it was over. The way he went down, he didn't even try to catch himself. He, he he just completely went. And he did very well to get up. He showed a lot of heart. And then um, Kenny Bayliss. And Kenny Bayliss is a very experienced referee. I've seen him yeah. in hundreds of fights. And to be honest with you, usually he's very good. But he just had a very poor night last night. I don't know what it was. Um, he had a very poor night. Warning Taylor all night long for things like talking, for holding, even though it was Ramirez who was engaging in most of the clinches. And then... Famously, in that round seven, he gave Taylor at least sixteen seconds. Uh, gave Ramirez at least sixteen seconds to recover, and you could see Taylor was chomping on the bit, trying to get to him. He knew he only had a few seconds left in the round to finish it. And I think if if he did just count to the normal eight count, Taylor would have finished him in that round, in my opinion. I think Ramirez was out on his feet. And he was I agree. By the bell. I agree. Yeah, I agree on that. I think there's a lot of people that agree on the same. Uh, and you look at social media over the past few hours, people are saying Kenny Bailey's had a bit of a terrible night, and that's not a reflection on him really, because as you said, no, he's done, he's done, he's done hundreds of fights, world championship fights. He's a, he's a brilliant referee, but he just seemed like last night. You know, it seemed like Josh Taylor seemed to have a, a few little odds stacked against him, really. He was the one going over there. He was the, the one that was essentially going into the lion's den. And then, obviously, Kenny Bayless didn't do him any real favours in the fight, but he didn't need it. That's the thing. The, the beauty of it was he didn't need any favours in the fight because he adapted well. His game plan was great. My only concern was going into the championship rounds, really. He seemed to, he seemed to ease off a little bit. He was like... 
you know, he was starting to back up a little bit and trying to coast through it. In the 10th round in particular, I felt like Ramirez was coming in really, really strong. And he, he landed a couple of good shots. And I was thinking, mm. you know, this could really turn the tide of the fight now. Because even though he had them two knockdowns uh, from the 6th and the 7th, I still felt it was quite close at this point going into them, them last three rounds. So I was a bit concerned that he was starting to take his foot off the gas a little bit. But ultimately, yeah. he, he managed to get through the fight. He managed to get the victory. 114-112 on the scorecards. Uh, a funny yeah. old card. A funny old card. But I think Very. it was probably... It was probably the right the right card. I think it was quite close. I think if maybe the knockdowns hadn't have happened in the fight, I think we would have been talking, you know, a really close fight. Maybe a 115-114. It could have been a really, really close ending to the fight. It could have even been a split decision. But I think ultimately... The, the right man won on the night. I think Taylor adapted his game plan really, really well. Um, Ramirez has shown that he, he the reason he was a champion, the reason he held two belts in the division, he's shown exactly why he held them two belts in the division. But I think now Josh Taylor's proven he obviously is the number one now in that division. And the ex, the exciting part of, of, of what happens next really is the talk of him moving up and deciding to go up to 147 uh, later on down the line. I believe he's actually got to defend against Jack Catterall within 90 days. Yeah, and that's correct, yeah, with the WBO. So he has to defend the WBO title within 90 days. So I'm just wondering, will that happen? Will he do make the defence? Will he go back to Scotland and have a homecoming against Catterall? Or will they look to make the Terence Crawford fight, which is what Bob Aaron was saying last night? Yeah, I can see it going... Either way, to be honest. I mean, like, I can understand if Taylor would want a nice homecoming fight against Catterall, who is a very good fighter in his own right. No disrespect to him, but he's not on Josh's level. And then you can also understand if Taylor says, right, I'm going to test myself now against the very best in the world. I'm going to jump up and fight Crawford. and It's going to be a mega fight. Um, I hope it's the latter, and I hope it is in Scotland, because um, I'll definitely be hopping on the plane to go see that fight. No doubt about it. Um I don't think he. I don't think he's got anything in the locker to trouble Crawford. To be quite honest, um, but he does have he does have a good punch as we've seen last night, and he's got grit and determination, and he's definitely got the size to carry up to one four seven. He's not a small guy, um, so I think he can definitely be a force to be reckoned with at one forty seven. But if I was if I was Josh, I would definitely defend that belt first, and then think about moving up. But the only problem is this is probably the only time now that he will get Crawford, who has nobody, because with Pacquiao and Spence tied up, who's Crawford going to fight? So it does make it does make sense. Yeah, it does. I think it's a, it's a huge fight. I think it needs to happen. I think, like you say, with Crawford not having an opponent now, and with Pacquiao facing Spence, which is, you know, we wanted to see Crawford and Spence go at it, and, and unfortunately yeah, that's exactly. not going to happen now. So, you know, looking at what's on the landscape, Josh Taylor is a very big for he's very big for 140 pounds, very big for the super lightweight division, and I think yeah. I think it was always inevitable that he will essentially move up. But mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, I think the way I see it going, I think they will do the homecoming first. I think they will take that homecoming fight. I think they will fight Catterall. Uh, I think he beats Catterall again, like you said. No disrespect to Catterall, yeah. 26 and no, he's undefeated, but. He hasn't fought anybody on Josh's level, and I just don't think he'll have enough in his arsenal. I don't think he's got enough punching power to keep Josh away. Uh, I think it'll be a really difficult now for Jack, and I think Josh should win that. But I think that's the way it's going to go. I think he'll face Catterall, and then they'll try and set up a, a mega fight next year. 
maybe they'll maybe they'll test him in the waters at one four seven first before they throw him in with Crawford. Maybe Crawford's yeah, perhaps, a, yeah. a, a fight that they want to, as Bob Aaron loves to say, marinate. Maybe they want to marinate that fight until next year perhaps. and and, yeah. and and use and use next year as the as the platform for doing that. At the end of the day, we've just seen uh, another British fighter, <laughs> Scottish slash British fighter, come up, yeah. co- go over to the Lions Den, and he's just taken uh, old belts. He's number one, and that leads me nicely on to what you were saying earlier about where you see him in the pound for pound rankings. So, two two questions I've got for you, Luke. Where do you see yeah. him in the Where do you see him in the UK pound for pound rankings after that performance and that victory and and what he's achieved now and also where would you now put him on the world pound for pound rankings? I'd have to have him in the UK number one right now just to what he's accomplished in such a short space of time. You look at his last six opponents' records; it's something stupid like one hundred and seventy-two and one. Do you know, like all those wins, one defeat amongst six uh, six opponents is crazy. Um, I definitely have him number one in the UK. Um, in the world, I'd have him number five. Um, personally, for myself, um, I'd have Crawford number one, Canelo number two. You can interchange those. I don't care if you have Canelo above Crawford. Um, I'd have Inoue in at number three. I'd have Usyk in at number four. And then Josh, I'd, he slides in there at number five, I think. I think with his accomplishments, you can't really put him any lower than that. No, I agree on that. I, I was tweeting it out today, actually. I was saying, I think, surely he's in with a shout for... Uh, UK pound for pound number one now, and I'd arguably put him in my top five as well. And I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I think what he's achieved now and and where he's at, and I think it's it's, it's a great prospect of what's to come with Josh Taylor. And I'm just happy that you know someone's been able to go over to America and and clean up and uh, put him. He's put himself, like I said earlier, on that elite level. Like there's only so many fighters that have won all four belts in the modern era. It's, it's really, really very few, and it's. It's not often yeah. we it's not often we get to see these types of fights as in all the belts being on the line because of all the different sanctioning bodies involved and all these different mm-hmm. sanctioning fees and all these different mandatory challenges that they've got to face and so many days that they've got to face them within. It's 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 quite rare that we get to see it. But in the last couple of years we've now had uh we've now had Usyk, we've now had Josh Taylor. People will argue to your female look. Uh, Crawford, Tiafimo Lopez, people argue that, but then they're also saying because he he didn't win the full legit version of the WBC, that doesn't make him there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make him in that elite select elite mm-hmm. view. But hey, this is this is what boxing is all about. We see it all the time with all these different titles That's and exactly. all these all these different and, sanctioning fees. And speaking of um, speaking of Tiafimo, I think if when he deals with Cambosos. I wouldn't mind seeing him move up to 140 and fight Josh Taylor. I think that's a that's a cracker. Um, as you say, Tiafimo should be undisputed champion. As we we even discussed that last week, definitely should be. And uh, I think him versus Josh Taylor would really show us where Tiafimo is because although he beat Lamachenko, that's only one elite win. Whereas Taylor has now five very good wins back to back to back to back to back. So I think if Teofimo can pull it off against Taylor, I think he has to jump in as well amongst the pound-for-pound rankings, definitely. And yeah. it's a fight I'd definitely love to see. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I did see someone mention that actually on social media today about Teofimo jumping up and, and fighting Josh Taylor. I think that would be an awesome fight as well. Uh, a battle of sure. two guys, a battle of two guys, undefeated, undisputed, and... It's it's yeah. really it's, it's it's great it's great prospect for the sport and it's it's fights like that and and you know wins like that for Josh Taylor that are only going to help the sport because you know we do get really fed up with the fact that 
you, we always see all these titles and we see all these different versions of so many titles. I think the WBA is probably the worst in the WBA uh, in the heavyweight division. They've got like four versions of the WBA title yeah. and it's, crazy. It, it's, it's just absolutely ludicrous. And yet we get to see a fight like this where all the belts are on the line, one legit winner, one legit guy in the division now. But then what will happen is he's going to be forced to to defend one of the titles. Obviously, Jack Catchell's yeah. the uh, WBO mandatory now. So, uh, will, he, will he then have to either drop it or take the fight and then move on? It's it, it's really a lot of politics going on at the moment. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, Luke, I just want to see Josh Taylor in, in elite fights. I don't even want to see him in an easy fight now. I think I think no. great fights all the way for me now. But the thing is as well, you look at last night's fight... <clears throat> Me. It was the best versus the best in that weight, and it it delivered. It, there wasn't a bad round in the fight. There wasn't a round where you'd, you'd be looking at it thinking, "Oh, this is boring." Both men were going hell for leather for every round. Now I didn't have it as close as yourself personally. I I had it eight four to Josh, but the the rounds were close, and it was a very good fight. Every round was good. So like when you put the best against the best, you will get good fights. You're not going to get boring fights. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not going to get boring fights. So if you put Josh in, like you say, elite level fighters from now on, he's going to have an absolute highlight reel of a career. Win, lose or draw, he will mm-hmm. he will have amazing an amazing career to look back on. And he'll do Scotland extremely proud and even more proud than he has already. And these elite fights as well are what will bring the high profile because we even discussed how people weren't talking about it enough um, last week and I think even with his antics over the week like he had a couple of rows at the weigh-ins and <laughs> a couple of rows with uh, Ramirez's coach and a few of Ramirez's fans like that'll get him in the headlines but what'll keep him in the headlines is beating the big names I think he did, he doesn't just deserve them I think he, he warrants them now and at the end of the day he's the man at 140 so if any of the lads want to step up Haney Lopez, Javante Davis, who is stepping up to 140, Ryan Garcia, any of them lads, they have to go through him now. He's the king. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to know how much he's paying in sanctioning fees, but so long as he has those belts, he is the man at 140. And he's the man to go through. And if he goes up to 147, just like Crawford did, he should demand a title shot straight away. Yeah, there's a lot of sway for a good for a good uh, argument for the title shot. I agree. Again, I agree with that. I think it's uh, I think it's only right. So I'm I'm quite comfortable that we've we've broken down the the Taylor Ramirez fight uh, as much as we possibly can. But there was one other bit of <laughs> well, I say one other bit of news. It was the only news last week, and I think it completely overshadowed the fight between Taylor and Ramirez. And obviously, when we recorded our big fight preview. We didn't know that this was going on at the time. I think it was the following day. I think it was the Monday, I think, that this uh, this had all happened. So we are, of course, referring to uh, the breakdown of Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury's fight is now off. It's not happening. I'm sure you all know about that, unless you've been living under a rock. That is now not happening. And that's as a result of an arbitrator and a court case that Deontay Wilder now gets his shot at Tyson Fury. The rematch clause, that was in a contract. I think a lot of people felt he was just going to step aside because of how how beaten he was against Tyson Fury in that mm-hmm. second fight. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm sure you'll have an opinion on that in a, in, a, in a moment about what you think about that third fight. But as of as of last night, Tyson Fury obviously comes on uh, when Joe Tessitore's talking to Tim Bradley and Andre Ward, and he just jumps on and yeah. gate crashes them talking, and he basically comes in and says, "I've signed to fight Wilder for the third time." AJ looks like he's going to be facing Usyk because the WBO are ordering that fight to happen. Yeah. So in a matter in a matter of a week. Everything's changed from us getting excited for the 14th of August in Saudi Arabia for AJ Fury finally, and now it's all changed yet again. What What are your thoughts on all this mess? It's um, it's a crying shame that the the fight was so close and it's just been pulled under the rug from us. Um, but at the same time, uh, I can sympathise and empathise with Deontay Wilder, and I think he's got to be given a lot of respect because. He's out of the ring 18 months. He could easily, he could fight anyone. He could he could fight some bum and knock him out and say, oh, I'm Deontay Wilder, I'm the king again. I've, I've knocked out another fella. No, he's jumping straight back in the ring with the man who battered him for seven rounds. And Deontay had never so much as tasted that much leather before. And he still, he wants to go in and he wants to win and he still has that self-belief. And I don't think he can shake that in a man like Wilder. Like even, um, even during the second fight, like we discussed this off camera last week, he showed a lot of balls. He showed, he, he, he has heart. And no matter what, you can say whatever you want about Wilder. You can say he's sloppy. You can say he's like wild or whatever. But at the end of the day, he's a fighter. He's a fighting man. And he's going into this fight. And I have full respect for him wanting to do it. Um, if it was me, I would have stepped aside, took the money. <laughs> and uh, definitely have fought the winner of uh, the Undisputed fight. But he wants to fight Fury again. I totally understand his reasons for it. And... Um, the best man will win on the 24th of July. But I think um, I think if Fury is what he says he is, um, he should deal with Wilder again. But I, I will never count Wilder out uh, because when you've got that one of the best punches in heavyweight history, you can't ever count a man out like that in heavyweight boxing. No, you really then, can't. As for, um, as for Joshua Usyk, I w- I'm not disappointed about that at all. I think that's a fantastic fight. I think it's actually a more intriguing matchup than Joshua Fury. I think Usyk is a totally different puzzle altogether for Joshua to solve. But who's the last who's the last Southpaw Joshua faced? Charles Martin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jesus Christ, you can't you can't put him and Usyk on the same planet of boxing when you talk about skills. And you see Usyk on Instagram now every few weeks, he's putting on a couple of kilos every week. He's he's looking beefy, he's looking strong. And he says he's keeping his athleticism and he's always going to have those boxing skills so he can give Joshua nightmares. But again, if Joshua is what everyone thinks he is, he should deal with Usyk because Usyk essentially is a cruiserweight. He could still make cruiserweight now. You know, if he had to, he'd still make cruiserweight now. So I think Joshua should be the favourite going into that fight, but I would not count Usyk out for a second of winning a 12-round decision. Um but I think we will end up seeing Joshua Fury hopefully around maybe November, December time. I really do hope so. I, I am genuinely disappointed that it isn't happening. Uh, I, mm-hmm. But then I think to myself, like at the end of the day, like you rightly pointed out, Wilder's contractually obliged to face Fury again. And that, that's just something that the promoters and the managers should have dealt with. If They, they obviously didn't anticipate mm-hmm. the fight to go down the way it did the second fight. And they put that rematch clause in there for a reason, maybe thinking that there could be another controversial fight. But it wasn't. It was one-sided. And Wilder's now had this much time out of the ring. 
Yeah, we've seen all the videos. Now he's got a former foe who he knocked out, Malik Scott training him. He's yeah. changed he's changed yeah. his he's changed his team completely now from, from what it was. So that's also gonna be interesting to add to the dynamics of the fight. And yeah. I think it'll be interesting. Uh, if they if they're gonna do it on the twenty fourth of July, which is what they're saying it's signed for, great, we get to look forward to it. I'm a disappointed, yeah, a little bit, but then we also get to see Joshua versus Usyk if if that gets signed, sealed, and delivered this week as well. I'd love, to, I'd love to see that fight. There's a lot of people, including myself, that feel that Usyk's a dark horse in that division. Like he is the guy with all the skills that could essentially beat every single one of them, men, including Tyson Fury, and, and that's well, that's something to look forward to to see what he really is. 100%. Like if 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 Fury was fourteen stone four and Usyk was fourteen stone four, I'd put Usyk winning. Do you know what I mean? The only thing Fury has is his size against Usyk, and I think Usyk would still cause Fury a lot of trouble. Same with Joshua. If you shrunk Joshua down and they, him and Usyk were the same size, Usyk wins that every day of the week. I think just on skills alone. But it's heavyweight boxing. That's the difference. You could have a guy fifty, sixty pounds heavier than you. So that's the dynamic that makes it so interesting in the heavyweight game. And like. As you say, we we may have missed out on one mega fight, but we're getting two very good fights out of that. So I can't complain too much. I get two two fight nights instead of one, so no, I, I won't complain too much. <laughs> and hopefully, um, if both men come out of that unscathed, uninjured, um, we'll get we'll see the fight in autumn or winter. Hopefully, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Either way, I think. We've got to we've got to appreciate the fact that this rematch has to happen. We've got to also appreciate the fact that WBO have got Usyk as the manager challenger. So we want Joshua to face him. We don't want any of these guys to be stepping aside. The thing is, for me, I want these guys to eventually get it on in the ring, and I want them to both be able to come through the fight. And maybe they won't. You know, we never know what's going to happen. As you said, heavyweight boxing, Usyk, Usyk could beat Joshua. And Wilder could beat Fury, and we could be having a Wilder Usyk unification fight. You just honestly never know. I mean, yeah, because, pers- you know. Per- personally, I think it's unlikely, but it's now the realms of possibility. Absolutely not. So it is. No. It, it is exciting. It just felt like a bit of a shit show, to be honest with you. Like with what was it going did, on yeah. through the course of a few days, it was like everybody's so excited on Sunday night, and then come Monday morning, everybody's just like. This is just typical boxing. The the Twitter statuses were just going through the roof. People were talking about yeah. it. And it was hilarious, to be honest. It was hilarious for people to sit there and give their own uh, our own opinions on it. But I'm just happy that, you know, we kind of look like we've got a bit of a clear path going forward as to how things are going to play out in the heavyweight division now. And it is exciting. Yeah. And I think we're forgetting we've got a couple of other guys sat around there that are, are vying and itching to fight any of, any of them four men, as in... Guys like Dillian White, uh, Michael Hunter, strangely has taken a strange fight. He was he was supposed to be fighting Philippe Hergovic and is now opted to face mm. somebody different. I don't understand the logic behind that. I think it was more so because of the he was offered quite a lot of money for that as opposed to fighting Hergovic. Yeah, it so a, it was certainly um, certainly a business move, and I think um, Hunter Hunter knows the game. He knows that even if he went and beat Hergovic in this IBF Eliminator, how long is he going to be waiting? How long is he going to be on the sideline? So he's probably taking a much easier fight for a lot more money and he'll probably fight again in two or three months. And he might even fight Hergovic in two or three months after Fury and Joshua have had their fights uh, respectively against Wilder and Usyk. So perhaps he's just making a smart career move, having an easy fight, a good payday on Triller, which is seems to be an up-and-coming platform for boxing. Um, so everyone will know his name in America, especially. Um, 
And of course, he had that video with Jake Paul where they called out Fury and his brother at the same time. So, I mean, people will know Hunter's name now. And then when he does fight Hergovic, it'll be an even bigger fight. He'll probably be able to demand a bigger purse. And he'll have less time to wait for that IBF shot if he gets it. So, um, he's probably just trying to play the long game, I think. But it is an odd decision at the same time. So, there's only one more fight that was on last night. Now, I, I admittedly, I didn't watch it. So, I, I just know the result of it. But... Uh, I'm just wanting to talk about sort of a, the future prospects of this individual. So I'm talking about Sam Eggington's victory over Carlos Molina on points last night. Uh, again, disclaimer, I didn't see the fight. I don't know if you did. You watch the fight last night, Luke? Did you see it? Yeah, I saw the fight, yeah. Fab- yeah fabulous. Fight. So, so you'll be able to give a bit more of an insight, uh, a lot more of an insight than mm-hmm. what I can. But um, I suppose I'll let you break it down as to how it went for the benefit of the people watching and listening and then we'll yeah. talk about like what happens next for Sam Eggington because this guy is 27 years of age and he's had an absolute storied career already and yet he's got this this silver uh, WBC I think it's silver international title which gets him onto yeah. the WBC rankings for the super welterweight division but just talk us through I think he's just, in the top 15 now yeah just talk us through that fight then Luke yeah I mean Eggington's such a funny one, isn't he? I mean, he started off his career, walked into a gym and said, I want to be a journeyman. He knew he was tough. Uh, he knew he wasn't the best looking guy. So he said, I'll be a journeyman. And he ended up being a lot better than what people ever anticipated. Um, how he ever made welterweight, I'll never know. Um, that must have been a horrible couple of days before weighing day. But now he was up at 160 last night, um, his highest ever. And he looked, he looked really healthy. He looked really good and he looked strong. Um, Melina, as we know, is rugged very physically strong, comes forward, head down, and bang shots into the body. And that is what he did against Eggington. But Eggington was just able to outlast him, outwork him, and get the better of the majority of the rounds. Now, there was an ebb and a flow to the fight. Eggington started very fast. Molina came on strong a few rounds in. Then Eggington came on again. Then it was Molina's turn. It was like they were taking turns of who was uh, who was on the front foot. But essentially, Eggington got the better of it. I had it 7-5 to Eggington. Um, I thought it was a tight fight. I thought it was a couple of swing rounds, but Eggington was the deserving winner. Um, as for where he can go, it's very, it's very hard to know because if he goes back to 154, there's so many danger men in that division. Um, we've got our own Irish man in Dennis Hogan, who uh, unfortunately didn't have a great showing against uh, Tim Zhu, but he'd be a great fight for Eggington at 154. I think that would definitely test him at fringe world level. I think that's where Hogan should be, even though Hogan should have been a world champion against Munguia. And um, at one sixty then for Eggington, I mean, one sixty is a strange division because you've got like Charlo, you've got Andre, you've got Triple G, and you've got Chris Eubank Jr. But you could you I wouldn't feel right if I was sat there watching Eggington in with them kind of guys. I'd like to see him in maybe even defend his silver title against somebody. Yeah. And see you know, see how he goes and then again like maybe get a top ten fighter or something. At, at either weight um, I think he would be more comfortable at 160 I think he's better at 160 his punch resistance was certainly better um, like against Cheeseman we know Cheeseman can bang but he had Eggington hurt a couple of times in that fight um, so I think at 160 he's definitely a lot healthier so I don't know I think there's a couple of good domestic clashes as well for him like even um, Denzel Bentley who lost against Felix Castor I think that'd be a great fight with Eggington and again, um, I know it's only an international title, but it's all about rankings in the pro game. And I'm sure Bentley, even um, Linus Udofia, a man you spoke to yourself, um, I think that would be a cracking fight as well. Um, one of Manchester's own as well, Bradley Ray. Um, 
I, if I was him, I'd be asking to fight the likes of Eggington soon enough. He'll be stepping up to 10-rounders soon. So why not? Um, but I think Eggington now, he, um, he's got his name. Everyone knows him. Everyone on the British team knows him anyways. And I think he can kind of pick and choose who he fights now. And um, hopefully he makes the right decision for himself. But I don't think we'll see him get past European slash fringe world level, to be honest. To be honest with you, he's come a very long way from the days of being in prize fighter, and that's where I first mm. seen him uh, on the mainstream. I first seen him in prize fighter all them years ago, and it feels like he has yeah. been around forever, and he has been in all these wars. He, he's been in so many wars with different fighters, and it's it's good to hear that obviously he did seem to be a lot healthier up at one sixty. But I just can't envisage him staying up at 160 if I'm being honest with you like you think like the names you've reeled yeah. off there you've you've reeled off quite a few names you think about a guy who's who's just lost in a world title challenge in Liam Williams you know Liam Williams versus Sam Eggington at 160 would be an absolute barnstormer of a fight but yeah, I mean is is Liam Williams going to want to take it? Potentially, he might want to take it now because, you know, it might put him into the rankings if he beats Sam Eggington because Sam Eggington's now got yeah, himself true, true. Into, the, into the top 15. You just don't know what the intentions are of, of obviously, the fighters and, and their management teams behind them as to whether, yeah. you know, what they're going to do uh, in terms of going forward. But I think Eggington, I think between 154 160, it sounds like, you know, they're the, the two weights that he's, he's going to be most comfortable at. I think if he's down at 154... I mean, the likes of Fowler, Fitzgerald, um, whether JJ Metcalf fights again, I don't know. There's potentially a fight yeah. there for him. Uh, Kieran Conway as well. You've got Kieran Conway coming off the back of that. A uh, little bit of a controversial loss a couple of weeks ago against the Soko. So there's still fights down at 154 for him as well. So there's. Yeah, domestically, yeah. There's there's a lot of options for him, uh, but it's good to see that you know he is he is coming back, he is doing well, and he's definitely still life in the. Uh, I say old dog, but he's not an old dog. He's only bloody twenty seven. He's still life in him oh, life he's, yet. He's, he's he's got a lot of mileage on the clock though, that's for sure. Um, and as you say, he's been in wars. They they take their toll. Um, even going back to when he fought like Bradley Skeet, like, and he he was the he was the underdog against Bradley Skeet. I remember I remember that fight well, and he he, he did amazing, and like. You would you would have never put uh, money on him getting to where he's got to in his career. Do you know, uh, he's done very well for himself. He's all, he's almost overachieved, uh, yeah, which is no disrespect to Eggington. It's just from the late age he started boxing for his style he has as well. You know, you hit me, I'll hit you twice. It's a it's a risky style to bring, especially moving up the weights. But he's done well. Um, but like I said, I think he'd end up maybe fighting lads who are on the way up rather than lads who might be on the way down because. That trajectory, he could just end up going a step too far. So we'll just have to see what happens next. But no matter what, we know it will be entertaining. Is there anything else from the weekend that you wanted to bring up for the reaction show? Um, the co-main event last night for Taylor Ramirez, uh, Zapida against Hank Lundy. Um, I think Zapida, that Baranchek fight, I think has took it out of him. I don't think he's got the legs anymore. I don't know if he. I don't know if he struggled with the weight. I don't know if his punch resistance is gone after getting hit so many times in the head that night. Uh, but something wasn't right with him. It was actually quite a worrying watch. Because um, Lundy is, you know, he's 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 not a club fighter, but he's 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 no world beater either. Mm. Um, and and I thought Sapita would have dealt with him quite easily last night, but it was just a shell of himself of what we saw in the Branchek fight. So. I hope we see a better showing from Zapita next. And if he's not comfortable at 140, move up to 147 because uh, 
he just didn't look healthy in there last night. It wasn't uh, it wasn't his best performance, and it just goes to show how like even though um, they give us all they give the fans all entertainment, but you have to remember what they're they're putting on the line at the same time as well. And it really hit home with me last night about that. Oh, no, I agree. I do agree on that. I did watch that fight. I did see that fight this morning again, and. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm, I was quite concerned about Zapeda after that, and uh, you know, I felt like he was going to be off coming off the back of that fight with Baranchek. I honestly thought he was going to be moving on up, but it felt like he'd gone a little bit backwards. He'd regressed a little bit in, in that. Maybe it was just a fight. Maybe he was just struggled in that fight. It's hard to say until we he gets. It's hard to say until he gets in with somebody else who's of you know real world class level. Uh, with all due respect mm-hmm. to Hank Lundy, he, he's not so. I think if you see him in another fight, I think that's when we're going to be able to tell whether that one particular fight with Branchik's really took his toll on him. But yeah, I, I mean, I mean, for me, just sort of summarising the, uh, the the show in general, uh, going back to the top of the show, Taylor versus Ramirez. Taylor, now undisputed, super lightweight champion of the world. Uh, an unbelievable achievement. Arguably now, top UK pound-for-pound pound fighter. Top five pound for pound fighter in the world. Uh, I was just, mm-hmm. it's just been great. And that record that you mentioned a bit earlier, one hundred and thirty-six and one is the actual record. One hundred and thirty-six and one. That's absolutely crazy to think that the guys that he's been in with in his last five six fights, there's been only one loss on that record, and the only person that was was Victor Postal's record with the one loss on it. And so that was, to, that was to Crawford. So I mean, does that loss even count? Do you know exactly? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Exactly. It's it's been it's been a great weekend. It's been really exciting to see Josh Taylor become the undisputed super lightweight champion. Really excited for for what lies ahead now with, with Josh Taylor in his future. And have you got any final thoughts on the fight? And any final thoughts on Taylor's future? Um, on the fight, I think Taylor really showed what he was made of and showed how good he was last night. Um. Because in spots, he just looked amazing. He looked a different class to Ramirez once he calmed himself down and did what he had to do and, and knew what he was good at. Um, I think as, as far as his career goes, I think the world is his oyster now. Like I say, he's got lads below him in weight who will want to come up and fight him. He's got lads his own weight who will want to fight him. And he's got lads above him who will want to fight him. So he's, he's got the pick of the bunch now. He's, he's the man. He's the king of that weight. There's no one else. He's the only one. He's at the top of that mountain by himself now. There's no one stood next to him. And there's no one even stood at his feet at the moment. They're all quite far down. So I think we're going to see him in a lot of entertainment fights now the next two, three years. And I can't wait to see what comes of Taylor's uh, Taylor's career because as we've seen so far, so far he's proven he'll fight anyone. So I don't think it matters to him. And I think he's, he brings that hothead mentality into his career. He's afraid of nobody. And I think we're going to see him in some great fights, whether it is against the likes of Tifimo Lopez or going up to Terence Crawford. I think no matter what, it's going to be entertaining and it's going to be must-see TV. And I just hope that he gets the promotion and the publicity that he deserves. Because this morning, I seen Joe Gallagher tweeted about him not being on Sky Sports News. And that shocked me. That should have been all over Sky Sports News. I know it was the last day of the Premier League today, but Josh Taylor should have got big big write-ups. And I'm sure in Scotland, he was on the back page of every newspaper. But it should have been all over the UK and they should be backing him all the way. You should be proud of him. And I'm sure he will end up getting on to the getting on to the bigger stages as his career progresses. 
Yeah, I agree, Luke. It's a great assessment of the fight, great assessment of what lies ahead for Josh Taylor. It was a great night. I really enjoyed seeing Josh Taylor get the victory, and it's great to see what what lies ahead for him now. And obviously, for everybody that's listened, thank you for listening to myself. Thank you for listening to to Luke's great insight and obviously his great prediction for the fight, of course. He absolutely bang on. And I remember you saying before we did the episode last week, you was like, I hope I get this prediction bang on now because there's nothing worse than getting something totally wrong. Yeah, that's it. Uh, didn't have to make any humble play today anyway. <laughs> well, that's it, Fight Fans. Thank you for listening to the Big Fight Reaction, Taylor versus Ramirez. We hope you've enjoyed it. Give us a follow at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, on Facebook and on Instagram. Please give Luke a follow on social media at Sugar Free Boxer and Sugar Free Burn, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much as always, Luke, for coming on and we appreciate it. Thanks for having me, John. Fight fans, thanks for watching, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.